Welcome everyone to the She Can Fix It podcast. My name is Dr. Alana Munger. This month, we have a great episode with Dr. Ariana Giannakis. Dr. Giannakis is passionate about lower extremity surgery and is currently in a foot and ankle fellowship at Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital. She has done a significant amount of work for the world of orthopedics, including being one of the principal founders of the Speak Up Ortho movement and being a peer supporter with Physician Just Equity. As a result of her efforts to help create the Speak Up Ortho movement and her constant work to educate and drive a change in the culture of orthopedics, Dr. Dianakis was awarded with the 2021 RJOS Courage Award. I had a great time speaking with Dr. Dianakis, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Ariana Giannakis. Dr. Giannakis, thank you so much for joining us on the She Can Fix It podcast. I'm so excited for you to be here with us, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule and your fellowship to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So my first question for you is, in your own words, can you describe your background, your hometown, college, medical school, residency, as well as your fellowship? Yeah. So I grew up in a small town in New Jersey, Lebanon, New Jersey, very small town. Uh, I completed my undergraduate degree in Montreal, Canada, actually, at McGill University, and I loved it up there. It was a great program, great city school, but very, very cold. Um, (laughs) I ended up going to an osteopathic medical school, LECOM, in Bradenton, Florida. And then during that time, I actually applied for and completed a year-long research fellowship as an additional year of medical school at Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. Um, I had the chance to work with Dr. Lane doing metabolic bone disease research, which I really enjoyed. I then went on to complete my orthopedic surgery residency at Rutgers Jersey City Medical in New Jersey, and I'm now currently a foot and ankle orthopedic surgery fellow at Harvard Mass General in Boston. I absolutely love my fellowship right now, and um, it's going great. I I am actually doing a second fellowship after I finish this one starting this summer. It's an international travel fellowship in lower extremity sports medicine and in-office needle arthroscopy procedure training. And uh, I'll be completing that both in New York City as well as in Europe. So very excited. Wow. That that sounds incredible. That's like many, many things going on, but that (laughs) sounds so awesome. I'm really excited for that second fellowship and everything that you've done. I would love to hear the story of when you first knew you wanted to do orthopedic surgery. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I was first introduced to the field of orthopedic surgery after, just like many of us, sustaining our own personal sports injuries. Um, I ended up requiring two ankle surgeries and a knee mm-hmm. surgery while I was in high school going into college. And I ended up losing a Division One basketball scholarship uh, because oh, of those sorry. injuries. Um, you know, well, you know, it's one of those things I think that sometimes things happen, but we learn from right. them and we grow from them. Um, but I realized at that time how pain can really affect affect your entire life and, and prevent you from your day-to-day activities. And, and although those injuries prevented me from returning to the sports I loved, it, it, that experience itself fueled my passion to, to maybe help those recover when they encounter that same adversity. Um, so during college, I, I thought maybe I'd go into physical therapy, uh, but then I was introduced to a couple of physicians, you know, as I was rehabbing back and after having my own surgeries that had encouraged me to maybe look into medicine and even orthopedic surgery. Um, when I started medical 
school, I didn't really think I would become a surgeon. I, I for some reason, gravitated towards pediatrics, maybe, and doing like pediatric non-op sports medicine. But then I, I had done a summer research internship. It was at Hospital for Special Surgery with Dr. John Kennedy, actually. And it was at that time where he introduced me to the clinical and surgical aspects of the field of foot and ankle surgery. He was an incredible mentor. He demonstrated compassion for his patients, and uh, he had a deeper level of understanding of how important it was to get athletes back on their feet as soon as possible. And part of my time there, I was able to conduct research on the same injuries that I had. So it, was, it came right. full circle. And, and while I was uh, taking some time there, I had the opportunity to travel to London at the International Conference on Sports Rehab and Traumatology, which is where there's a lot of different uh, football medicine strategy topics. And, and it's all about patient care, but it gave me insight in uh, prevention of injuries and how to manage foot and ankle injuries. And I was inspired because there's so much collaboration between between orthopedic surgeons, sports medicine physicians, physiatrists, trainers. So, you know, that entire experience really sparked my interest and solidified that I wanted to maybe become an orthopedic surgeon. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Now you, you're doing two fellowships, one in foot and ankle and another that sounds so amazing. It's hard to wrap into <laughs> like one phrase, but what do you see kind of your future? Why did you choose kind of those two trajectories and what do you see your practice kind of being in the future? Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, I guess, you know, if you think about your five-year plan, right. I, I see myself, you know, continuing on in academia. I'm actually completing my PhD right now through the University oh, of Amsterdam. It, it yeah. all is sort of tying in together. I know it sounds <laughs> a, a lot going on, but it's all, it, it all makes sense, I think, in my head. Um, but basically, I'm completing uh, my PhD in gender studies in orthopedic surgery, primarily oh. focusing on lower extremity sports research and foot and ankle surgery. So for mm -hmm. me, I'm hoping to, you know, complete my first foot and ankle fellowship at MGH this upcoming summer, then do this six-month international travel fellowship where I will get a little bit more hands-on learning in sports medicine, but also learning this in-office procedure uh, that they do. And so ultimately, the two people that are training me, they're already doing some procedures with a nanoscope. It's a very small little camera um, that goes into the you know ankle joint, or uh, you could even do it in the knee and other joints, but it's through a very micro camera. And you're able to take a look at the joint in the office. And then if there's something that needs to be addressed in certain cases, you can actually address them in the office. So for wow. me, uh, part of my experience is, is learning this new technology and, and also questioning, you know, do I think this is good for patients? How do we mm -hmm. indicate this? And then bringing that back to wherever I end up in my career, you know, as far as what institution I'm at. Um, I want to continue my, my academic side and, and continue my research, especially in my interest of developing a better understanding of, is there really differences in foot and ankle surgery between men and women as far as outcomes, mechanism of injury, um, you know, and the management? We, we know so much about, you know, differences in maybe the, like the knee, you know, ACL injuries, patellofemoral, even in hip. But for some reason, we haven't translated that knowledge down to the foot and ankle. So my goal is to continue to incorporate that as part of my practice um, and hopefully teach residents and fellows, you know, and, and be a role model just like I have so many amazing, incredible role models. I hope I can be that person to, to those following in my footsteps. Wow. That sounds incredible. Ugh. Well, good luck on that. That just sounds, <laughs> sounds like, oh, wow. PhD and all these things. That's really exciting stuff. Oh, well, thank you. Um, 
And one of the major reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because of all the work that you've done with the Speak Up Ortho movement. And so for our listeners who may not know about this movement, it's basically um, a movement that seeks to raise awareness uh, to end workplace abuse in orthopedic surgery, which is kind of like a one sentence thing for something that is just so massive and has already made such an impact. But I would love for you to just provide a description of what is Speak Up Ortho to you. Yeah, so basically, Speak Up Ortho was created to allow anonymous sharing of experiences, including harassment, sexual and otherwise, bullying, discrimination. The mission of our organization is to give a voice to those affected by these abusive behaviors in our profession. Our aim is ultimately to create a safe space for listening and support for people of all walks walks of life, regardless of color, religion, sexual orientation, any background. And we believe that by initially acknowledging these issues and working towards changing the culture, we can allow for more diversity within our field. Nice. And you were one of the principal founding members of this organization. So I would just kind of love to hear what was the story of how it was founded, you know, in terms of yeah. was it a conversation? Was it a, a something where you're just like, this needs to happen? Or how, how did it all begin? Yeah, so in in March of 2021, an orthopedic surgeon posted in a closed women's forum on in on Facebook actually. It's a women in orthopedics group that we have, a question basically about sexism in the field and and who had experienced sexism. And the number of responses was alarmingly high and and therefore a group of like-minded orthopedic surgeons ended up speaking behind closed doors and and convened and and set a meeting up to discuss some of the concerns that this was truly potentially an endemic problem. Um, So once we got started and we spoke to people, we realized that, you know, not only were trainees affected by this, medical students were, and then people who had been in their careers were still being affected by abusive behaviors. And and a lot of people were scared to say anything um, because they either feared you know, retaliation, career detriment. And, and so we wanted to first start off by saying, okay, how do we, how do we have people comfortable so that they can, you know, start talking about this a little bit. So the platform was, everything was completely anonymous and it allowed for people to come together and share their stories. And then ultimately, um, you know, we, we got together and said, we need to do something. And so part of the movement is now also acting to, to create change with different initiatives that, you know, we can discuss a little bit more too. Right. Yes. And I was wondering if, were you surprised by the stories that were submitted? I think we were all surprised with the types of stories that were submitted. Um, I think what was even more surprising, though, was the number of stories that were being submitted. We had over 350 stories within the first six to eight weeks of, you know, starting, uh, which was was crazy. Um, I don't think anyone really truly realized how endemic the problem actually was. For, for many individuals, residency is about survival, and we're oftentimes to keep we're oftentimes told we should be keeping our head down, deal with mm-hmm. it, just get through it. Um, I think our platform finally gave people a place to share what they had gone through, and I think for many it was eye opening to see what they had experienced and, and realize that others had also experienced this and that they weren't alone. So some of the self doubt that people had, um, they they started realizing that this wasn't maybe just a me problem, rather it was a culture problem. 
And that can be very therapeutic for people and individuals to, to now start realizing, I, I guess I'm not alone in this. Um, and, and also the number of messages from physicians, even outside of orthopedics, who re- reached out to us expressing that they too had you know experienced systemic abuse and that this was happening across subspecialties. So even though you know orthopedics was one that was starting to recognize it, it started expanding across the different specialties, which was something that we didn't think would happen so quickly. Right. That's such a shame, but um, I think it's great. You know, from my perspective, I think that it's been a very positive response to this entire movement. You know, people have been very, very appreciative of the fact that, you know, it has raised awareness. It has opened eyes. Um, And I was wondering from your perspective, has it all been positive or has it also there been some negatives that have come along with this? Yeah, I think honestly, most of the reactions have been incredibly positive. Um, You know, I don't think anybody wants to be in a position where they're bringing up these tough topics of conversation and and shedding light on things that aren't easy to talk about or address. I I know for me early in my career, it it has been challenging to navigate this, um, you know, because you don't want to be considered a problem person or someone always complaining. But I, I think what's important is that, you know, for the most part, our field is an incredible field. We may have a few bad eggs where you know these behaviors do happen, but I think the fact that now we're able to openly discuss this a little bit more shows that we are we want to improve as a field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that we're really pleased and humbled too because we've had so many organizations who immediately came to the support of our campaign and and are working with us to promote a healthier work environment. We have a lot of institution leaders and program directors that are reaching out and asking us advice on how do we raise awareness in our institutions and how do we handle a situation where maybe it's not truly an account of abuse, but you know, there's a misunderstanding because, you know, I don't think, I think sometimes institutions, you know, there's some places that cover things up. And then there's other places that there's a complaint and it goes and it gets escalated far too quickly. And I think part of the work that we need to do, not just speak of ortho, but as a, as a group is try to figure out the best way to help with communication between all parties that are involved Mm -hmm. um, and not be pointing fingers at everybody and trying to take down everybody. I think it's more about trying to figure out how do we promote a healthier work environment um, where people can raise concerns and, and ask questions and maybe, you know, talk to about an issue that happened without fearing retaliation. And then where if someone does raise that concern, people aren't overly sensitive to it and, and that they know that this is something that maybe could be talked about and handled. Um, right. So, you know, we have a lot of work to do, but it's it's hard to figure out what the best way to do that is right now. Right. And I know that you mentioned that there are some future directions of the Speak Up Ortho movement in the sense that not only are you helping to raise awareness of, you know, the fact that these things are happening, but you also are trying to develop action items. And I was wondering if you can kind of just speak about what your, the goals are moving forward. Yeah. So while Speak Up Ortho continues to make waves in our profession, the main goal initially was to raise awareness of abusive behaviors in the field. The next mm-hmm. step though is, is action. So we've created a subgroup called Speak Up Coalition. And this is a group comprised of leaders from across the country in various subspecialties. We're actively working on initiatives to improve the work environment for all areas of medicine, so not just in orthopedics alone. 
we are currently developing educational curriculums to incorporate into either residency programs or institutions. This includes bystander intervention training, anti-harassment training, anti-bullying training. We're also now working with some really neat tech companies to develop resource apps and reporting apps so that, that individuals have a place to look if they need to figure out who do I talk to when this is going on? You know, who's the representative mm-hmm. at my institution? Who at ACGME can help me or from medical students who at LCME can help me? And, and then as far as reporting apps, you know, how, how can we do this in an app form that helps there be a third party representative that may not be part of the institution? You know, that, that in that case, someone might feel a little bit more comfortable talking mm-hmm. to someone who they know doesn't isn't in directly involved, you know, in their career or in their program. Right. Um, you know, that's a really important thing. We're also hoping at some point to develop a transfer portal, you know, so that residents can come and go a little bit more easily, you know, in the, in the normal work course, you know, if you're not happy at a place or you feel like it's not a great fit, it's pretty easy to, to leave that, that workplace. Unfortunately, as a resident, um, you know, you don't have that luxury, you know, there aren't always open positions in your field. And if they are, you don't even know about them. And it's really difficult to just swap around, you know, even, even if it's not an abuse issue, say you have family that needs help across the country, it's really difficult for you to pick up and get over there to be there for that person when you're a resident, because you're sort of, you know, tied into the program. So we're hoping Mm -hmm. that, you know, we can come up with some way to at least provide more information on how to transfer and make it a little bit more easily accessible for those who might need it. Um, And so, you know, we're, we're continuing on, on these and many other action items. We're still trying to write up some articles. We recently had two JOS articles published. One was mm-hmm. just basically focusing on some narratives just to put it in writing that this, you know, these are some of the things that had been submitted. And then the second was our first paper, which was a call to action, which was just a prelim outline on, on what can some programs do if they have an issue. You know, if someone is, is, is coming to them and, and reporting something, what are some of the steps that they can do at the first level to help prevent it from, you know, getting out of hand. Um, and, and I have to thank, you know, a lot of the organizations who've supported, we're working with RJOS, Women in Orthopedics Worldwide, BWS, right. PDA, I mean, all the subspecialty groups, everyone's coming over and, and are very interested and excited to get involved, which I think um, it's really refreshing. Um, I think for me, you know, obviously there's always going to need to be some negative feedback. And I, I think that the biggest thing is um, Speak Up Ortho wants to be able to listen to positive and negative feedback. And, and it's only through people voicing, you know, their thoughts and opinions on how to help this situation. That's the only way we're going to make progress. So I think um, for the most part, everything's been really well received. And I'm really proud of the work that's been done and, and by all the leaders leadership. People volunteer their time. No one's getting paid to do this. And, and right. it's amazing how these chairs and program directors are stepping in um, because they really want to make things better for our field. So yeah. it's really promising. Yeah. yeah, no, that's incredible. And congratulations on all the work that, you know, that has been done to create this. It's really, truly remarkable. And, you know, due to all of the efforts that you did to create this movement, as well as your constant work to educate and drive a change in orthopedics, you were awarded with the uh, 2021 RJOS Courage Award. What does this award mean to you? (laughs) Well, I was truly honored and humbled to receive the RJOS Courage Award. The award represents so much to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I I unfortunately did face my share of abusive behaviors during my residency training. And and when I attempted to speak up was initially ignored and then ultimately retaliated against pretty severely. 
Um, you know, my experience though allowed me to see firsthand where the flaws were in the reporting systems. And I realized while I initially thought I was alone in my experience, that simply wasn't true. There were many others who had faced abuse either during training or at some point in their career. And I realized if I didn't stand up for what I knew was right, then I would be doing a disservice not only to myself, but to those following in my footsteps. So this award recognizes that although speaking up may be the difficult choice, sometimes the toughest decisions are often the right ones. But now we're in a time where you do not have to face these challenges alone as, as the support is now there. And, and that's hopefully what our group and our leadership and, and what I can hopefully provide other people following. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And in addition to all the work that you're doing with Speak Up Ortho, you are also part of a group called Physician Just Equity. Um, and I believe you're a peer supporter with this group. And I was hoping you can provide our listeners with the description of what this organization is. Yeah, Physician Just Equity is, a, is really an amazing group of individuals. Um, this group exists to provide peer support to physicians and surgeons in the U.S. who experience workplace conflict, whether it be through education, research, empowerment, advocacy. Um, the group itself wants to facilitate institutional culture change so that ultimately patient care can be optimized. Mm -hmm. um, so the group is dedicated to achieve diversity, equity, and inclusion in the medical profession. And uh, ultimately, the, the group provides a, an outlet for, for individuals who might be experiencing something that they're not quite sure how to navigate. They can you know, log into the site, submit a, their issue or their concern, and then they get linked up to a group of physicians and sometimes lawyers too as well, depending on who is in the, in the group um, mm -hmm. that can help answer and help I guess, you know, speak with them about their experience so that they can provide some insight into what to do next. Hmm. Wow, that's incredible. Why did you want to join this group? So I was introduced to Dr. Pringle Miller, who is the founder and executive director. And right away when I met her, I knew that this organization was born out of personal hardship and experiences, um, you know, across the board with many of the peer support uh, staff. And although the peer supporters involved may have come from different backgrounds and specialties, each brought a unique skill set and knowledge, um, but they all just had one thing in common. Their goal was to help those who may be experiencing injustices that, that, workplace, that produce workplace conflicts and with nowhere to turn. And I remember during my residency training, I had wished that I could turn to someone who could maybe help me navigate the difficult reporting process and provide me with information about who to contact and what to do in various situations. So PJE is that layer of support. It's that layer of resources that so many people across subspecialties need. Um, so ultimately, it's a group that's dedicated to supporting peers. Everyone volunteers their time um, with the goal of paying it forward. Um, and it's just truly amazing to see how someone can log into a session with these peer support individuals. They're, they're often distraught and just they feel hopeless. And then by the end of the meeting, you can see that there's hope that's been established and, and that they are excited to try to continue working and to figure out you know, a way to either overcome or just a way to um, basically resolve whatever conflict they were were involved with. Hmm. Wow. I was hoping for a moment that you can kind of humble brag and speak about what you've been able to accomplish since you've been a part of the Physician Just Equity group. 
Yeah, so PJE is comprised of 30, 30 people in total with 34 peer supporters to date, or 34 peers that have been supported to date. Um, we've had 13 Voices Unheard podcast episodes, which is on, on the website. Uh, one editorial was published. Uh, we have a partnership with a producer of 1001 Cuts, which is a documentary about surgeons who are women. Mm -hmm. uh, we have also co-sponsored a webinar with AMWA, and we've recently just submitted two grants for research proposals. So it's a new group. It really has only been uh, in practice for about a year, but it's, wow. it's, it's one that, once again, it's all born out of individuals who are just trying to help others who have gone through maybe a difficult time, and, and they're volunteering their time to do it. Um, it's a really great great organization. Um, and I encourage people to take a look and if anyone's interested in volunteering to, to, you know, submit some, their information and, and come on board with us. <laughs> That's incredible. And, you know, one of the questions I really truly want to ask you is I think that, you know, we've always known that there's been a lack of diversity in orthopedics and diversity, meaning that with regard to gender, racial, ethnic, LGBTQ, religious, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's what I love about the work that you're doing is that you're it's you're acting upon it. You're actually creating things that help others and kind of trying to make a difference uh, toward, you know, closing this gap. And I was wondering, in your opinion, uh, what do you think needs to be done, both like for us as individuals, as well as the institutions as a whole, in order to increase diversity and inclusion within our field? I think having open discussion about these issues is important. Right. Uh, being able to empathize and see different perspectives is what's truly necessary in order to promote a healthy work environment that is not just diverse, but is truly inclusive. I think inclusion is is what needs to be focused on. That's the key in all of this, not just having... I, I, you know, we can promote that institutions are, quote, diverse by having individuals from different backgrounds and all walks of life, you know, accepted into the programs. But if we're not truly incorporating a culture that accepts people and actively works towards fairness and equal opportunities, we're going to ultimately fail. Um, on an individual level, I think we have to remember, you know, we're, we're physicians and our job is to help others. So we should always keep that in mind because we should be helping our colleagues. You know, we should it should come natural that we want to treat others with respect and kindness. And, and help those who might be in need. I think having groups and organizations, which we see are evolving and growing now, are incredibly important so that all, no matter what gender, race, sexual orientation, religion, you know, the list, list goes on. We all know mm -hmm. that we're not alone in this and that we all do have a place to turn. I think orthopedics is becoming more and more aware that not everyone is the same and we all have different backgrounds. And at the end of the day, it's our differences that will help our field provide the best care to our different patients. And, and I think right now, the fact that you and I can have discussion about this and we can talk about this as a topic that we're focusing right. on, and we're also seeing this now you know, more across social media platforms, I think it demonstrates we're headed in the right direction, but it is going to take time. And I just think we need to be more proactive in, in our way of thought and, and more proactive in, in really trying to make sure our leadership uh, is creating a culture in the institution that is one of respect, but also, like you said, at the individual level, we have to remember how to treat each other, you know, and we should mm -hmm. treat each other, you know, better. <laughs> just in general, just treat, treat everybody just, better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, New Year's resolutions for everybody. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Speaking it of, off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of New Year's resolutions, I know you have 
many a things going on. It, it's, I'm, I'm like, literally, I think I'm like starting to sweat thinking of all the stuff that you're doing with, <laughs> with just all your training and your extracurricular activities and such. But I was wondering if you can kind of go into what your goals are moving forward. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but, you know, clinically and research as well as kind of all your work with the various organizations. Yeah. So, I mean, clinically, once again, I'm, I'm excited to complete my foot and ankle fellowship. Um, I think all of us trainees are always excited to complete the next step yes, and check it off, step. you know, yeah. become more of an adult, you know, if you will. But, um, <laughs> you know, and I, once again, I, I really love my time here with my mentors at Harvard MGH. It's It's been amazing to be in an environment with incredible faculty who take the time to train you surgically and because they really want you to become the best. And, and it's right. so nice to feel that and, and feel encouraged. Um, I'm looking forward to the second fellowship that I'm doing, living in you know New York City for a bit and in Europe for a little bit. I think that would be, it's just going to be exciting and I get mm-hmm. to learn a whole different skill set that I hope I can bring back to my practice. Um, you know, the goal research-wise is to actually, you know, complete my PhD work and, and get the work done. I think that uh, gender differences in foot and ankle surgery is a really cool topic. Uh, you know, there's one thing that I'm working on now, you know, even though a lot of my focus has been on uh, more like athletic population and differences in those types of injury patterns, one thing we're working on right now is, you know, why do women have foot and ankle pain? You know, so many people get pregnant and or I don't know if I said pregnant women, but why pregnant women have (laughs) foot and ankle pain. And so, you know, there's been so much focus on foot and ankle injuries, but, you know, as women have different changes in hormone levels and, and whatnot, you know, they get a lot of different swelling and their feet ache and their ankles ache. And so, you know, we're starting to navigate into that role of, you know, pregnancy and the effects on foot and ankle. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot that can be done when you're looking at gender differences. And I think it's really an interesting field. So I'm excited to see where that work takes us because I think it's it's bound to have uh, endless opportunities. Um, and so uh, I guess my goal, you know, in the next several years is once again, you know, end up at a, an academic institution and be involved in the various leadership organizations. I would love to stay well connected with, you know, you know, speak of ortho and wow mm-hmm. and, and RJOS and, and be part of the Academy, because I think that it's it's important that you know, especially as women, we uh, you know enter into the leadership roles, and and we right. have so many women that have already done that. But I think it's important that you know we continue that as fellows now, and you're a resident, you know, that we have that mindset that we can do it because now we've seen other people who have gone through and done really well, and and now the support's there. You know, I think mm-hmm. speak up for though, even though it's shown that. There's been some negative things in the field. I think it's also shown and brought to light how much support there is from both men and women and and that there is support for people of different backgrounds to come in and make waves and and change the field around a little bit. And I think that's a really exciting thing to think about. No, that's awesome. Well, I know that you as a fellow have many things to do and many things to study. And so I would love to go into the final set of questions, which is the final five, which are the same (laughs) five questions I ask every guest on the She Can Fix a podcast. And so my first final five question for you is what is your favorite procedure to perform and why? 
I think my answer to this is likely going to change throughout my training and probably <laughs> early in my career. I feel like right now, as I learn different things, I love everything. Um, mm -hmm. Today, my answer right now is that I've recently been exposed to some really complex foot and ankle deformity cases, mm -hmm. um, whether they were as a result of prior trauma or right. had just been progressed flat foot or capovarus foot deformities. Um, and, and this is something I didn't think I would love so much, but I really enjoy these cases because you really have to work through the steps of correcting the multiplanar deformities, um, whether it be through soft tissue reconstruction or some sort of bony procedure like an osteotomy or a fusion. You know, you see these patients come in and they have these deformities and they can barely walk. And, and now after you're finished, they have a plantar grade foot. And once they're healed, it's going to allow them to return to day-to-day -day function and be able to ambulate on, on this foot. So it's been really cool to see you know, how complex cases and how, I guess I'm learning in my training, how you work through problem solving uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to trying to correct these deformities. So uh, today that is what my answer is going to be. That's awesome. <laughs> and then what is your go-to topic for Grand Rounds presentations? So I think people who know me probably won't be surprised that I really enjoy talking about a lot of the research related to gender differences in orthopedics. Right. And uh, so I, I enjoy presenting my research in that area. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we mentioned before, expanding a lot of the work that's already been done, you know, in the sports world, you know, with ACLs and knee injuries and whatnot, and translating that to the foot and ankle world. Um, so that's something I really enjoy um talking about. And, yeah. and I think that a lot of the work we're doing will be what a lot of the focus lectures will be that I'll be able to give, especially at some of the grand rounds. So, um, yeah, yeah. hopefully yeah. it'll be some new topic. Like I said, the pregnancy <laughs> paper, hopefully, yeah. you know, I'll be able to talk a little bit about why our feet hurt so much when we're pregnant. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, what is your favorite story slash memory as an orthopedic surgeon? I don't know if I have one particular favorite memory, but what I can say when I look back and think back is that I really cherish my times working with some of the most incredible mentors that I've had. And, and mm -hmm. I feel like those were some of the most fulfilling times I've had in the OR. As a training, I'm sure this goes for a lot of other people too. You know, oftentimes we may doubt ourselves and feel like maybe we're not confident enough in ourselves. And right. I remember as I progressed in my training, how proud some of my mentors were, like visibly proud that they were when they took a step back in cases and saw how I was developing in front of their eyes, confidence in myself during cases. And I think feeling support then and seeing my own personal skills develop made me appreciate having cheerleaders and role models who made both who made work both fun and exciting and created an environment where I wanted to keep working hard so that I could become the best I could be. Um, so I think right. for me, it was more a state of mind of, of being able to see how people who really support you, you know, watched you grow. And then you finally developed into a confident, competent surgeon, you know, when you didn't mm -hmm. maybe necessarily thought you could. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And then question number four, is what are your favorite activities outside of the operating room and outside of medicine? Um, I have some incredible family members and friends. And for me, the most important use of my time is making time for those I love and who mm -hmm. have always been there for me. 
And part of the journey in medicine, I think for many people is you get to move around to different locations for, you know, whether it be medical school or residency or fellowship. So one thing that I've really tried to do is explore each city I'm living in. So for example, I'm in Boston right now. My parents recently came up to visit. I made an entire itinerary so we could explore the sites, whether it be learning about history on a tour, taking a cruise around the harbor, you know, finding the best local eateries. Right. Eating is definitely on my, you know, favorite activity. Yes. Very important. Very important. It's very important. You know, just say whether you eat all your feelings, happy, sad, whatever, you know, that's so, you know, eating and then also traveling, obviously, once you're allowed to travel, you know, doing all those things is is what I consider a lot of fun. So that's incredible. And my final question for you is what advice do you have for orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic surgeons in training? My advice is to always work hard to be the best physician possible so that your patients are confident in the care you're providing. Medicine can be a difficult journey at times, and we all will face our own adversities, but I encourage each person interested in orthopedics to never give up on their dreams. It's important to find a support system and role models who can help you navigate the path. And something that I think is most important to remember is to always say thank you. Part of being a leader is helping those who follow in your footsteps. And I've had many orthopedic physicians, both men and women, who have supported me, and I would not be where I am without their help. And so it's always important to recognize that support and not take it for granted and just know a thank you can go a really long way. Oh, well, that's incredible. Honestly, thank you so much for joining us. I am so, so happy I was able to speak to you and learn everything about the Speak Up Ortho and just all the incredible work that you're doing, and as well as all your clinical duties and everything, because that sounds absolutely amazing and exciting. And so honestly, thank you so much for joining us, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Ariana Giannakis. Please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. Another way you can provide support and keep this podcast up and running is to donate. You can visit our website at www.shecanfixitpod.com and visit our donation page. I want to take this time to thank my editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much for listening and please stay safe.